I want to say hi to our live stream audience, which we have. We, we count you as part of our church family, and although you're not here in body, we know you're somewhere in your body, and we're glad you're wherever you are, we're with you too, and welcome to LOH. We're starting a Christmas series today, 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 and we're going to kick it off with uh, a time around the Lord's table in just a couple minutes. How many of you uh, really love seeing the church building decorated as it is? It's up in stairs, it's downstairs. I want to thank you. Everybody who came out yesterday, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of you, eleven, I don't know how many, but uh, I appreciate it. I know Tanya led and Lydia led that yesterday, and uh, thank you so much. It's glorious. It's beautiful. I want to talk this morning about the reality that God isn't distant anymore. He isn't distant anymore. That's what Christmas is all about. God isn't distant anymore. And that's the treasure that he offers to the world, and it started one Christmas day. And with that as the backdrop, I wanted to take us to the Lord's table this morning, because Christmas and communion are a pretty great combination, really great combination. Christmas really brings out the deeper meaning of communion. A lot of times when we think of communion, we think of the cross, but without the birth, right? Without the birth. And so the birth, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus brings each and every one of us into the possibility of coming back home and coming back to God and coming back to the greatest treasure, the greatest gift that's ever been offered to anybody in the world. And it's this, God with us. Whoever you are, whoever you are, Wherever you've come from, whatever you've done or left undone, you don't have to be alone anymore. I want to talk to you this morning about communion and Christmas. And I'm going to do something new in 2020. Every other month, I'm going to teach a communion lesson. And so there's no better time than Christmas time to begin that. This is the first one, and I'm going to just simply call it Christmas bread. Now, I wish we could have baked your favorite kind of Christmas bread, whatever that is, but uh, we're going to come to the table of the Lord and talk about the bread of life. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, you've given us the bread of life. You've given us your son to be born, to live, to show the love of God, to die on a cross for us, and live again so that we can live again. You've invited every one of us, near and far, to your table, to Jesus. We don't have to be sinners anymore or strangers. We can be born again, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve who can be raised to become sons and daughters of God through Jesus. And so give us this day our daily bread, Christmas bread, the bread of Christ. May the Holy Spirit's presence rest powerfully now in our midst, around the altars, with this table, and glorify the name of Jesus in a powerful way, we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bethlehem. 
If you see, if you see on, on this slide here, I, I put some Hebrew words. I put some Hebrew words that, that indicate to us what the word Bethlehem looks like. But Bethlehem is the place of Jesus' birth. And the Hebrew word for Bethlehem comes from two words, Bethlehem. And it means house of bread. Isn't that cool? Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And when I, when I think of Bethlehem, uh, I think about the birth of Jesus, but I never thought of it before as the house of bread until I looked up the literal meaning. I always think of Bethlehem in two ways, where King David was from as he grew up as a boy shepherding the sheep, where Samuel came to anoint him king of Israel, and then I think of it as being the place, of course, of Jesus' birth, where Mary and Joseph went as they were uh, sent by the Roman Empire to be taxed, and it was there that Jesus was born. But to think of it in this term, that Jesus, the bread of life, was literally born of all the places where he could be born. Jesus was born in a place called the house of bread. And as the bread of life, you know what he came to do? He came to bind himself to us. He came to meet the deepest need of our soul. You know, Thanksgiving morning, I know many of you, just like me, the deepest need in your life was turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, and I'm sorry, but you didn't get any, but I got a lot of it, Grandma Lily's stuffing. I'm just telling you, man, oh man, I wish it was more than once a year, but I'll tell you what, I make the most of the opportunity when Grandma Lily's stuff is on the table, then it's in me, that's right. Jesus came to do something better than just feed our stomachs and just meet, and meet us in, in, in a certain level. He came to meet our deepest need. He came to give us something the world could never give. You know what that is? It's not just heaven someday when you die. It's life abundant now. You know what life abundant now looks like? If your soul is filled with faith, your soul is filled with hope, and your soul is filled with love. If we live with faith, if we live with hope, and we live with love, we are living an abundant life, and Jesus Christ came to meet the deepest need of our life. And this table today that you and I are going to come around represents that when we feed on Jesus, we can have life that the world can't give, but comes from heaven and God's heart. Christmas bread. The prophet Micah foretold it in Micah chapter 5. Centuries before Jesus Christ was born, Micah, by the Holy Spirit, told us all about it. Ready? But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old from ancient times. I want to make three points this morning about Christmas bread and the communion table. Christmas bread, number one, binds us together in the mystery of wonder. Stop and think about this. You weren't there. I wasn't there. But Mary and Joseph are holding in their hands the God who could not be contained even by the heavens. The mystery of wonder. Can you imagine what Joseph wondered about? How am I going to raise God? <laughs> what Mary thought, I gave birth to God, 
as uh, Frederick Buchner, Buchner said, God in diapers. Now, now, think about that. If we're talking about the wonder of the birth of Jesus, we have, to, we have to come into the wonder of the scandal of that. I wonder sometime how deeply we really believe it if we haven't come across the scandal of that. Ready? God became, not just man, God became a baby. A baby? The Christmas bread is about being bound in this mystery of wonder. When we take this bread, let's stop and wonder today and lay aside the need to totally understand it, but rather than try to understand it, enter into something better than understanding. The mystery of wonder about something you can't understand. That God, the maker of everything, the one who made the stars, the one who is beyond comprehension, had to nurse at his mother's breast. The bread of God was going to live in humanity and actually hunger. The one who was going to fill us so that we'd never be thirsty again would be thirsty. The one who is the way had to journey daily, tired, lonely, the one who had everything, emptied himself of everything so that you and I could have everything. It says that this baby born came from the days of eternity. His origins are of old. The ancient of days in a manger. A bond together with a boundless God. The heavens can't contain him. There is no building you could build for him. But he was wrapped in cloth so that you and I, in all of our fragmented ways, could be bound up in his healing touch. The Christmas bread is about being bound into this mystery of wonder. Look what it says in the fourth verse. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So for centuries they waited for this majestic, powerful, noble being to come striding into time from the heavens who would be, who would be majestic in sight, royal, supreme. But instead, you find a baby, not in a temple. You find a baby, not in a palace. You find a baby in a manger out in the middle of nowhere, unannounced to the great people, but revealed to the outcast shepherds on a hill. A baby wrapped in cloths. Yet from heaven's perspective, it was the king. I can't imagine what the angels thought when they saw heaven's king needing to be fed, needing to be protected. And then not announced to Herod and not announced to the priests and not announced to Caesar, but announced to shepherds on the night shift watch that nobody even really cared that they were watching. We come to the table. We are to behold the majesty of God as a baby who we see as the king of heaven through the eyes of our heart. 
and realize that his greatness would not be like president's greatness and king's greatness and the rich and the royal's greatness, but his greatness would be revealed in servanthood. His greatness would be revealed in gathering people who nobody wanted around to come and be around him. A powerful greatness that's revealed in humility. A powerful greatness and royalty that's revealed in serving like someone bonded to the lowest of the low. So we're worshiping today when we come to the table. Here's what Micah 5.3 says, Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until. I love that word, until. You know what? There are times when you're going through hardship and you feel like it's never going to change. And I've been there and you've been there, and the, but I have something in my story that God wants to be in your story. I felt like this. I felt like that. My life was coming apart until Jesus showed up, right? I was lonely, I was lost, I was broken, and I was bound. I couldn't overcome the problems of my life. I couldn't overcome the sins until Jesus led me to himself. I was this, I was that. Our marriage was on the rocks. Our our kids were, and until, until. I love the untils. Jesus said people were abandoned until the time when, now think of this, centuries before it happens, Micah sees this, until she who is in labor bears a son. If you have a Jewish friend that's not sure if Jesus is the son of God, take him to Micah chapter 5, verse 3, and ask them this, who is that she? We know who that she is, right? Mary. And the rest of his brothers returned to join the Israelites. Point number two, Christmas bread brings us home to God. I love that song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. But when I hear it, I think about people that can't get home. I think about people that want to get home but can't get home. One of the loneliest Thanksgivings I ever spent in my life was that I had this dumb idea that I didn't want to travel home for Thanksgiving because I had too many papers to finish and we had to be back on Monday. And so I thought, well, it's too much travel. And so I stayed on the campus. That place was a ghost town. Everybody went home, me and a few people. And you know what else I found out? Nothing was open. And even if it was open, I didn't have a car. So you know what I did? I'll be home for, no, if only in my dreams. Man, it was a bad dream. There are a lot of people that don't know that God wants them to come home. They think they've gone too far. They think they've messed up too badly. Maybe even the church has put up an invisible, you're not welcome home, sign up. But here's what Christmas bread means. Christmas bread means God wants to bring us home. It says we were abandoned, not by God, but by our own decision. Because the Bible says all we, like sheep, have gone astray. It doesn't say the shepherd went astray. It says all we have gone astray. But you know what he did? God thought, I'd rather die than be without them. And so I'm going to give birth to my son who will live and die. And he came to us when we couldn't come to him. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you, broken so you and I could come back home. Israel would be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. Christmas bread. He brings us home to God. When, when you come up here today and you get that bread, 
It's God saying to you and me, I want you home. I want you home. I want you home. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his reflections about Advent, said this, God is not ashamed of the lowliness in human beings. He marches right in. God chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect it. God wants to be near to the lowly. He loves the lost. We'll say that again because I'm not sure if the church does anymore. God loves the lost. If you're watching this today, in whatever town you live in, you don't go to church, and it's not because you don't want to, but you don't think you're welcome, I got news for you. God loves the lost. He loves the neglected. He loves the unseemly. Bonhoeffer says, God loves the excluded. God loves the weak and the broken. That means he loves me and he loves you because I'm every one of those things without him. We're all sinners, but his birth can make us family. We are strangers, but Jesus came to make us brothers and sisters. No longer strangers, no longer orphans, no longer abandoned, no longer without help, no longer without hope. Christmas bread brings us home to God. But now I want to shift, and I'm going to shift the thought of communion going into 2020, and I'm going to spend a lot of time coming from different directions regarding the point I'm going to make right now about communion. Christmas bread not only brings us back to God, but this is something we really need to drill down into this year. Christmas brings us back together with each other. This is where we're going to camp today. Communion is not only about coming back to God, it's about coming back to one another. When Jesus was born, unbeknownst to Israel, God was going to expand the definition of Israel. Israel was no longer going to be only Jew included. Israel was going to take on a new dimension. God was going to expand the definition of the people of God outside the boundaries of Palestine. Jesus came to expand the definition of what it means to be in communion and in community. So here's what communion means in God's heart about you and I coming back together. The circle of community extends beyond race. I'm going to say it to you, amen that. that. That worried me a little bit. The circle of community extends beyond race. So that means that my life should look like my life extends beyond race. Because if my life doesn't extend beyond race then my amen wasn't real. 
Community and communion extends beyond national identity. You have to be more than an American to go to heaven. You can sing God Bless America and end up lost forevermore. Because when you come into the city of God, you have to be wrapped in the blood of Jesus, not in the blood of the red, white, and blue. Come on, that wasn't loud enough. Community and communion is beyond national identity. Let me tell you this. Community and communion is beyond male and female. Gender issues. Let me ask you this question. If somebody was confused about their gender and in a search to get clear about it, change their gender, is that the unpardonable sin? Would, would Jesus open community to them? I mean, well, Israel would be redefined and expanded. And the definition would be in Christ, not in culture, not in race, not in male or female, not in national identity, and it would be beyond educational levels. It would be beyond economic status. It would be beyond classes. It would be beyond denominations. Again, if I was out there, I would amen too, just like you did. But here's what I want you and I to think that's more important than agreeing with what I just said, and that is being what I just said. So if I don't have any gay friends, well, I got really quiet. I didn't say gay projects. I said gay friends. If I don't have any other race friends who aren't a project but are real friends, when I have the bread in my hand, I want to think about that a little deeper. Guys, you'd say, hey, Tim, I agree on that male or female thing. I want some female friends. <laughs> that's, that's another series. <clears throat> Don't you wish all those other denominations would get it right like we have it? I, 
I watch that. I'm sorry, but I have this one Twitter site. This guy's called. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a. Uh, I don't know what you call it. It's a, it's a mess. It's, but this guy finds all these clips of these like mean spirited, like very parochial, like preachers from certain denominations that just blast everybody else. And and I watch it because it's hilarious how the guy puts it together. But 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 then again, it's not hilarious. It's it's heartbreaking. Because some of these people that are doing that really believe what they're doing. I mean, you know, there's people in the Westboro Baptist Church, they really think they're right. And there's people in our denomination that really think we're right. About everything. You know, there's some people that believe that your eternal existence and definition, whether you're Christian or not, depends on which translation of the Bible you read. And they mean it. I mean it. Whew. Brothers, let that not be with us. He came to bring us back together again. And Christmas is a time of family and friends and togetherness, but so is communion. Some of you might be saying, I wish you'd explain a little deeper some of those points that really got my head fizzing. But I'm not going to intentionally because I think we need to come out of our cloister and consider that I think all of us would be offended at who Jesus would spend time with, not necessarily only for the purpose of winning them to the Lord, but just because that's who he is. Paul emphasized that point, as did John. I don't know what Ringo and George thought of it, but I know Paul and John, they thought, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John really emphasized this point. In other words, Paul in the Corinthian letter wrote something like this. If we come to the Lord's table and aren't right with one another, we're not right with God. And here's what, I don't know about you, but here's what I've done at different times when I sat out there. We came to communion. The Holy Spirit would bring up to my mind somebody that I wasn't really right with. And so I would pray a prayer because, you know, like I was raised up in, you know, in, in the thought which was not right and it wasn't necessarily the teacher or preacher's fault, but I took it that way, that if there was something in my life that wasn't repented of and I took communion, I was probably going to die of cancer or something or uh, something was going to happen, you know, because you have to judge yourself, you know, and you think, oh, no. So I would do, so if it was an issue relationally, let's say I got in a spout with somebody, I would just have this little prayer, silent prayer, oh, Lord, you know, you know my heart, I love that person, I forgive that person. And then I don't go up and take it. But that's not the way the scripture says. What the scripture says is, hey, don't take it. It's not about saying a silent prayer about it. It's about speaking to the person and getting it right. That kind of communion. That's what Jesus' heart was all about. Communion is about opening up the circle and expanding communion beyond our circle. It's not about me and Jesus alone. It's about me and Jesus and you and other races and other economic statuses 
and other denominational people and other political people and others that aren't in my political camp and your political camp but love Jesus. It's about a way bigger circle. I loved what Tanya Pressman reminded me of when she posted something on Facebook. She said, church isn't a place that you go to, it's a family you belong to. Did you read that one? That was a good one. Bonhoeffer said this, any attack even on the least of men is an attack on Jesus Christ who took the form of all of us and in his own person restored the image of God and all that it bears in human form. Through fellowship and communion with the incarnate Lord, we recover our true humanity and at the same time, listen, we are delivered from individualism, which is a consequence of the sin nature. And we retrieve instead our solidarity with the entire human race for which Christ gave his life. Breaking bread together. I want to go deeper in this part. I want to go deeper in this part. Breaking bread together. I want us to look at these circles. My life, this is a challenge. I want to challenge me and challenge you throughout 2020. My circle of community should show diversity. The one who the heavens can't contain opened his arms to the whole wide world. Our communion and our community should reflect the outcasts of the world are not outcasts in the church. Come on, Sean, you listen to me preach today? Come on, man. Somebody amen me today. I feel like I'm, uh, you might think I'm starting the, the worldwide church of the Antichrist or something. My community, my own unity with God should show diversity more and more. There are no outcasts with Jesus. So in the community of LOH, there shouldn't be outcasts. There shouldn't be cliques. This must be seen in the way we do church, not just in the way we say our church is. This should be seen in our movement together, not just in a mission statement. Come on, somebody. We can say a lot of things in a mission statement, but our mission statement will be defined through the evidence of how we do church with one another. And anyone who is considered an outcast out there should be in the family here. Here. That's what got Paul upset about the Corinthian church. Here's my paraphrase of 1 Corinthians. Paul, you have too many big shots, too many big walls, and too many big mouths. And God wants big servants, big bridges, and big hearts. Come on, somebody. That was worth your money. Communion. 
If we're becoming more and more like Jesus, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Those on the outs with society were on the ends with Jesus. And one of the greatest evangelistic witnesses that changed the entire Roman Empire was that all the outcasts in the empire were welcomed in to the church. That means those that are unnoticed by the religious were asked personally to belong with them. Circles should show diversity. Circles should also be a regular happening between us. Let me just drill even deeper. I want to challenge, I want to challenge everyone in this church family in 2020 to have another person that you do your Christian life with beyond your spouse, beyond your family, beyond somebody that's not a part of LOH. I have dear friends outside of here that I get with, talk with, pray with, but, and I'm sure you do too. You have a Christian friend at work, you have a Christian whatever. In this church family, because listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is not an audience, this is a family. Family. Brothers and sisters. So here's the, here's the challenge. There should be a regular happening between you and somebody else in Christian communion in this church family. I want to challenge you on that. I want to challenge you to find a friend and don't just pray about it and wait for the wind to blow you there. Find a new friend Believe God to lead you to that person and have regular connection with them and even communion with them in 2020. Because our circles should be a regular happening between one and two, most three, brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters, in the church family that God brought you into. Let me tell you something else I think when I think about these circles. We should be in a Christ-centered circle. Right? We need to reach people that don't know Jesus, but we all individually need to be in a Christ-centered circle. This is a big one. This isn't all we do. Life groups are really important. But let me tell you about it. If you're away at college, if you're away at college, if you're going to survive college, even a Christian college, I had to survive Christian college. I had to get deprogrammed too. If you're away from home, and away from church. If you only watch live stream, great, I'm glad you do. Never quit. But 
You need a Christ-centered circle where you live. Let me ask you, do you have a Christ-centered circle? Do you have a friend, a brother, a sister that you get with, talk with, share with, confess your sins with, encourage each other with, challenge one another with, do the real deal with, and even do communion with? Do you? You need to. You need to. I need to. You need to. And in your circle, do you have a circle where Christ is the center? If our circle isn't Christ-centered, we are heading for big trouble because you become like the people you hang out with the most. You, you take upon yourself the natures of your circles. How do you know if you're in a Christ-centered circle? It's inspiring you toward God. It's leading you away from the fire of temptation and to the fire of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Are you in a circle like that? If it's not inspirational... If your circle is not revealing and edgy and sharp and challenging, you're going to become less like Jesus. Your fire is going to go out, and you're going to become more distant. And it's when you're distant when you're vulnerable. When you're isolated, you're vulnerable. And being in a church gathering is not good enough. We need to be in community with somebody else in our church family on a regular basis, and this is beyond life group. You have to have a somebody. Everybody needs a somebody in this body to do life with, to have an inspirational circle that's revealing, that's edgy and sharp and challenging and will keep you growing closer to the fire of the Holy Spirit, closer in the Word, honest, honest, and healthy. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Oh, man, I'm going to have to preach that same thing next week because there weren't enough claps right there. I know, I know, right? I know, I know, I know. We're all too busy, right? Holy Spirit, take a hold of our daily planners and daily plan us. Finally, Christmas bread. First, it binds us into the mystery of wonder. This piece of bread is reminding us that God became a baby, was birthed by a woman who needed her child to be her savior. Wow. So do we. Brings us home to God. We never have to feel condemned. We never have to feel outcast. He welcomes us in. He came and preached peace to those who were near and those who were far away. Everybody's welcome at my Father's table. Jesus literally said, literally, go out into the byways and even look in the hedges for people, in the real bushes, and tell them, my Father wants you home.
He didn't tell them, go tell them they got to straighten out this, straighten out that, figure out their sexuality, figure out their idea. Just tell them to come home, the table spread. Get them to the table and let them eat God food. Get them in the house. Because my father wants the house filled. And go get the blind and the crippled and the poor and the outcasts and the people that the church says, you're not good. Go get them. They're under the hedges. Bring them in. Because Father's baked some fresh bread. And when you eat it, you won't hunger anymore. Christmas bread finally brings us peace by his blood. Here's what it says. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And I love this. Look. And they will live securely. That's peaceful, isn't it? They will live securely. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Look, and he, he will be our peace. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember what happened? When he was out there and he realized that he had messed it up so bad, he said, I want to go home. Have you ever just wanted to go home? My mom, she never feels well enough to get up and come to church in the morning. My kids know this about my mom. Grandma Ina is cozy. And there have been times where be, our lives would be turbulent, and I can remember Dev, Savannah, saying, Dad, let's just go to Grandma's. Because when you're in my mom's presence, you feel like everything's okay. The prodigal said, I want to go home, but then he said, but I can't go home and be who I was because I have forfeited who I was. So I'll go home and I'll say, I know I can't be your son anymore. I, I, I screwed that up. I mean, I didn't do a little sin. I did a sin that they talk about. And so if you can just hire me as a servant, that, that'll be enough, but I've got to come home. Please. So you know what happened? He sets off. And then Jesus paints this picture. I'm so thankful that Jesus painted this picture because I've had to go to Luke 15 many times. Raise your hand if you had to go to Luke 15 a few times in your life. And listen, listen, live stream. Jesus said, from a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Holy Spirit, please help me right here. And with great compassion, 
swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him with tender love. I read that this morning and I heard the Holy Spirit whisper this to me. And I think my grandson Graham triggered this thought in my brain. Last night, Shelby sent me a video of Graham saying, hi, Daddy. He's learning to say it. And what I love so much was, my, here's what I love about my grandkids, and I see this in Graham. When I see Graham just bebopping along every day at his house, and they send me videos, I ask for about six a day. I don't get that many, but... He just... And I've said this to Devin and Shelby more than once, more than twice, probably. I said, you know what I see in Graham? He's a happy little boy because he knows he's loved. And last night in the video, Shelby says, say, hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. And, he, and the more he's trying to say it, he hears himself, and I could see what he's doing. He's going, I'm, I'm learning to say this. And he just starts giggling, laughing. Now, Linguistic purists could say, well, it sort of sounded like daddy, but he didn't really say. I'm glad God isn't that kind of a linguistic purist when it comes to the need in my heart, trying to communicate what I can't put into words, when I feel like I've ruined it so bad, and he knows better than anybody, and I can't get there, he just says, turn my way and I'll take it. Turn my way and I'll take it. But you know what? You, you, know, you, know, you know what that's even better than that? And this got me. This got me today. He said, remind the church that if they've been home with me for a long time and they're living as a son or a daughter, I want them to know today that every time they come to me, I feel the same way like it was the very first time. Yeah. Every time we go to God, we don't always feel the same way. But the good news is, He does. So that's what peace is all about. We get to come home. We get to be welcomed. We get to be in the in club with God. Wouldn't it be beautiful if everybody who is in the in club with God would have something even as good, know they're in the in club with the church? Even before they measure up and be at peace, would you stand? Christmas bread. Christmas bread. Every time you come his way, his response toward you and me is always like the very first time. What we do here is if uh, you believe in Jesus, you love him, you don't have to be a part of our church. 
If you want him, you're welcome at the table. You're welcome to take the cup and the bread. He has an open table, so, so we do too. And when you receive the cup and the bread, we go row by row, come up, get it, take back to your seat and wait on everybody. And then before we eat the bread and drink the cup, I want to do something special today at the end that might start a beginning. And so with that said, we'll start row by row and come up and take the bread, the cup, return to your seat. And listen, if you're here and you've, I've described Jesus in a way, the Holy Spirit helped me do it, that you thought, you know, I want Jesus now in my life. And if that's you, I pray, Lord, for that person that they would know that you've been waiting to, to have an amazing homecoming for them. God was in Christ, not counting your sin against you, friend, but he took your sin on himself. And he was made a sin offering so you could be made the righteousness of God. So if you say, Jesus, I want to come home. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. That's like my grandson saying, Hi, hey, Daddy. He didn't even, I don't know how it was, you know, it wasn't perfect, but God knew, and I knew, and Daddy knew. And your Father knows. You turn his way, and here he comes. Come to this table. And celebrate Jesus with us and new life in Christ. All right? Let's do it.